Well, we're still here, so let's talk about it. When I said let's get real, I meant really real. I've talked before about wishes, what you want for the end of your life. What do you wish? Tell your wishes to your friends and your loved ones, those you trust and are relying on to carry them out for you. But how can you have wishes if you don't even know what your options are? So I thought we could start there. Some of the basic options that people might consider are whether they'd like to die at their own home, at the hospital, or perhaps in a nursing facility. Each one has its own benefits and maybe some drawbacks. So let's talk about the nursing home. The nursing home provides care for everyone in the home. So it doesn't cost as much as, say, a nurse coming in to your personal home. You have it 24 hours a day when you need it. They can help you with your medicine, make sure that you're taking it correctly, making sure there's no contraindications with certain foods or other medicines. As you progress into your age, you might find that you become incontinent and can't use the bathroom or can't make it to the bathroom on your own or with maybe a little bit of help even is just not possible. The staff at the nursing home can help you with that. When you become even more debilitated to the point where you can't get out of bed at all, the nursing staff and the care team can position your body so that you don't get bed sores, can make sure that you're comfortable And they can also observe how you're eating to make sure that you don't have any swallowing issues, that no breathing issues begin, or if they do, they can supply you with oxygen because they have it all ready to go. It also means that your family doesn't live with you. Your family comes to visit you in the nursing home. The nursing home may have set hours and maybe they don't want visitors even if it's the end of your life. Or perhaps they see that you're approaching the end of your life, but they haven't been able to notify the family and a delay happens. There's a chance your family may not be able to be at your bedside when you die. There's many other parameters that are involved with being in a nursing home, good and not so good. Some people choose that option because they don't want to be a burden to their family. So let's look at dying at home. Being the preferred option with, what did I say last time, 83% of people saying that they choose that and half of that or less actually do, there's a communication gap there. So we can talk about that, but let's just talk about dying at home or spending your last months at home. That means that nursing care has to be brought in. It usually costs much more than living in a nursing home. You don't have the nursing staff 24 hours a day. So you either go without getting care, which in the beginning of a terminal diagnosis, for example, when someone would ordinarily be a part of a hospice program, the team can come in and give you that care that you need early and watch for signs and symptoms as your, as your disease progresses so that they can make interventions to keep you comfortable. But from a family's point of view, myself here, I'm kind of including in that I had medical knowledge and experience, but not nursing experience and never someone who's terminally ill. What I experienced was anxiety and stress and fear. 
I had these images of what I thought was going to happen when my mom died. I was able and encouraged to call the hospice whenever I wanted to, but I felt like that could be burdensome. What if they're helping somebody else who's even worse off or has a more serious question than I do right now? What the hospice did do was give me some books, and I relied on those books, but they don't answer everything. I got through it. My mom was on hospice mm, probably four months, maybe five. Uh, She did choose chemo in the beginning. So usually when you are on hospice, you're not getting treatment for your illness or disease. When she decided she no longer wanted chemotherapy is when she signed on to hospice. Immediately, hospital bed, oxygen, comfort kit that has medications so that if she were anxious or in pain or some other comforts were necessary uh, for her relief, we could provide those to my mom. That was really helpful. And then the 24-hour number, of course. The reality was the nurse came once, maybe twice a week, for an hour, maybe, and then she was gone. I wish I had it more, but it just wasn't possible. When my dad was dying, his hospice staff came in once a week or so. I was not as involved with his care as I was with my mom's. I don't even remember if I ever met the nurses, but I remember calling because my sister and I had questions, and his dying was not the same as my mom's. But his wife really took the brunt of all of that care. My sister had to fly in from out of state, and I was driving back and forth from two hours away to make my visits. I went with him to his doctor's appointments. I was there the day that they told him that treatment was not working anymore and there were no other treatments to try. So he signed up for hospice. He was comfortable, but there were times where the pain control was not sufficient. If we don't have those medicines at the home, there's a gap between the time that a phone call can be made, the staff can be notified, the prescription can be filled and then delivered, and then dispensed to my dad. So he did die at home. He was at peace, it seemed, from what I could tell. I was not there the moment that he died because I had left the night before, feeling comfortable that I had said everything that I needed to say. I think his wife could have used a little bit more support than my sister and I could give her. And I think hospice could have really helped a lot. Whether she made that choice to not have them in, you know, so they, I mean, there's social work, there's chaplains, there's pet therapy, there's art therapy, you know, there's volunteers who can just come and sit. I don't know that they utilize those. So his wife really did the bulk of care. We, because he was in his home, were able to stay in the extra beds in the home. We could come anytime we want. His wife was so wonderful about that. When my father-in-law was dying, they had hospice. They set his bed up in the kitchen because it was really the only appropriate space. He had windows to look out. The TV was there. He could go to the kitchen and make something to eat for himself. He could be sitting there with his wife and watching television. Visitors could come in and sit around the dining table. It really was not ideal, but the best that we could do. Hospice came around once a week, but I'll never forget how many falls he suffered. And his mother would call my husband and say, your dad has fallen again, or there's urine all over the floor, or his wounds are leaking and it's a mess. And my husband would have to go take care of him. 
We didn't live too far. I think we were in the same town at that time. So 15 minutes to get to his home. I went over and cooked for him when he was no longer able to cook for himself. I talked with him. We had some really good conversations. His daughter came. His grandson came. His friends continued to visit as long as they could. That, to me, was a pretty positive experience, except for the falling part, and it saved a tremendous amount of money. He was a veteran, so the Veterans Administration covered so much of his medicines and things, or his bandages, whatever he needed, supplementary to what the hospice was providing. He really was not in want for anything during that time. He didn't even seem to need any extra pain control, which was really a blessing. His wife, on the other hand, I don't know that she considered it a blessing because of the falls. He was stubborn. He insisted on getting up himself, not waiting for her to get there to help him make his way to the bathroom. He tried to get out of bed and he didn't wait to make sure that his blood pressure stabilized so that he wouldn't get dizzy and he would fall. Or because of the urine leaking out of the catheter bag or these wounds that were just oozing so much fluid because of the nature of his disease, it would be on the floor and he would slip on it and fall. It's really, really great that he didn't break a hip or hit his head or any of those really traumatic experiences, but it was not fun. When he did pass away, it seemed that he was also at peace. So we were grateful about that. It took his mom a while to reconcile that whole experience. And it was a couple of years later when she died, she was living in a uh, not an assisted living, but a senior living apartment home. Not an apartment home, but an apartment complex. She was beginning to warm to the idea of making friends in the complex, but really she was pretty isolated. She didn't really want to be social. She was on dialysis. She was able to drive herself to dialysis appointments until such time as they were able to bring it into her apartment, and she never had to leave for dialysis. The downside of that, though, was that she developed an infection called sepsis, where the infection gets into the blood. My husband got the call that she was being hospitalized from the senior apartment complex. She died before he could get there. She was likely alone. He said he saw the look on her face of maybe torment, definitely not peaceful in his eyes. That was unfortunate, but I wonder if we were all around her, if she might be one of those folks who at the very end of their life, would rather die alone, and so they wait until a certain person or everyone leaves the room before they die. Oftentimes, the family member will say, I just went to go get a drink of water, or I thought a clean, wet washcloth would have been a help, and when I came back, my loved one was dead. It happens more often than you think. The opposite of that is that some people waiting for a particular family member will not die until that family member makes contact. The other side of living and dying in your home is that if you have beloved pets, they can be right there in the bed with you. Isn't that sweet? Sometimes therapy animals will come to the hospital, but it's not the same as your own pet. Let's talk about dying in a hospital. Not many people would choose to die in a hospital. They have to end up there somehow. Think about if you have a terminal illness or say you've had an accident and something has happened to shorten your life. You may be hospitalized traumatically. In this case, this is where that advanced directive is key. 
Because the choices that we talk about are the big one is do not resuscitate, do not perform CPR. But there are so many other things that you can choose. But let's just stick with DNR for our purposes today. If you have a DNR, what that means is they will not do any measures, any life-sustaining treatment. They will allow natural death. If you become traumatically hospitalized, however, and you don't have your DNR on file, or you were not able to communicate your wishes when you were admitted to the hospital, by law, staff must do everything they can to save your life and support your life. They will have tubes to feed and hydrate you, to catheterize you, and to medicate you. They can sustain the existence of your body almost indefinitely. What this may afford you is an opportunity for them to look through your belongings and hopefully find the contact information for a family member. And maybe that family member knows what your decisions have been made and they'll share them with the staff so that any of the treatments that had begun can be withdrawn at that time so that you can allow natural death. So let's think about that. CPR. If they were doing CPR, there is a certain amount of time that happens before the physician will call it and say, we cannot resuscitate this person. We have to acknowledge that this person has died and cannot be recovered. There are also these other treatments that happen, maybe a surgery, for example. If the family member gets there in time and some proposed surgery has not yet taken place, just the preparations, the family can say, stop that. We are not allowing surgery. And hopefully the doctor will honor that decision. The likelihood of you dying alone in the hospital is pretty high. If you consider how many people and patients the nursing staff has to care for, if they have any kind of trouble locating family, it's pretty likely that you will die alone. On the other hand, some people prefer that because again, they just don't want to burden their family. So those are three options. I suppose we can talk about hospice. Hospice comes to the home. Some hospices provide a facility where someone can go and just have a couple of days that gives the family respite. So they go there, they're cared for by the staff, the family gets some much needed rest, opportunity to tend to whatever matters they need to tend to, maybe just take a shower, take a nap, whatever it is, maybe even handle some of your legal issues or end-of-life funeral planning, anything like that. If you choose to remain in the hospice facility rather than in your own home, you can do that, not always, it depends on the facility, but you can spend your last days there, maybe even a little bit longer, depending on the capacity and the need for the bed. What's beautiful about that is the nursing staff is there, like we talked about in a hospital, but they're allowing palliative care or comfort care. So the medicine's there, the oxygen's there, they know how to position you, they know how to handle a dying person. They are experts at that. The compassion can be so beautiful in a hospice house where maybe it wouldn't be so in a hospital or a nursing home setting. Not to say that they're not compassionate caregivers, but because of hospice experience with the end of life, they know the phases, they know what to look for. There is limitation, however, because 
It's maybe one nurse to one or two or more patients at a time. So they're not necessarily going to be at the bedside. However, I am a volunteer that would come at what's known as the 11th hour. So when a patient has hours to live and is likely to be alone at their time of death, this 11th hour volunteer can be summoned and be at the bedside to hold a hand, to read, to pray, whatever it is that the family has decided this person would really like. Or if the person made their own wishes known, we could do those comfort things, those touching moments that can bring real comfort and peace when someone is maybe feeling a little anxious, maybe agitated, even if they can't communicate anymore, they need to have some comfort. So the 11th hour volunteer can provide that. So you may not get to have your dog or your cat on your lap. You may not be able to have your favorite grandchild in the bed with you when you die, if you're in a hospital or a nursing home, or maybe even in the hospice house, really depending on just transportation and communication and timing. If you die at home, you have everyone around you that you want, but they may be frazzled, frustrated, and exhausted because caring for a dying person is stressful. So as you think about these three basic options, it's still up to you to consider what you want. And hopefully you can communicate your desires to your family and they'll honor them. If you think that you're worried about being a burden, verbalize those thoughts. It's really important to do that. So there's the three things that we're going to talk about today. You got to be a little bit more knowledgeable about when we say, let people know your wishes. At least those are the first three things that are the first things that we can decide. If you know where you want to be at the end of your life, that's the first decision taken care of. The next part, of course, would be how to pay for it if you choose nursing care or you choose a nursing home. If you choose family care, you need to choose the family member you want to provide the care. I hope that you found this helpful. I hope that it's not too distressing. It's certainly not fun to talk about these things, but it is so necessary so that you can have the end of life that you really, really think that would really be the most peaceful situation for you. It's your prerogative if you choose it. I'm glad you were here today. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I'm sure glad you were with me today. Talking about death and dying is hard enough. As we go forward, talking about death and dying and all the topics about end of life, conversations, the people that we love, people we want to know better, let's just keep learning together. And if there's something that you want to learn more about, you can drop me an email. My address is kathy at whilewerestillhere.com. The website is whilewerestillhere.com. And the podcast is, you guessed it, while we're still here. So lots of ways to reach out, lots of ways to dig in and learn about talking to those people that we love while they're still here to have a conversation think about that. And until next time, folks, take care.